Well, thank you. <clears throat> thank you for your kindness and your warm response to the action of the board. Joan and I are grateful. We, um, we also acknowledge that we are clearly where God has called us to be. We are clearly where we believe God would have us to remain. For as long as God will allow us to do that, we will be with you. Also, I want to acknowledge gratefully the men and women who serve alongside of your senior pastor. We have a great pastoral team, a great staff team, and they are so diligent and so talented and so creative, and we are so blessed to have them. And so your expression of confidence in us is your expression of confidence in them too. But also, in addition to them, <clears throat> all that has been gained in these past few years does not happen without you. You make this possible. You make this work. You make this effective. Your care, your love for not only this church, but this community makes what's going on real every day. And so to all of you who volunteer, who give of your time, who give of your financial resources, who give of your prayers, who give of your concern and your encouragement, and when needed, correction, I want to express my appreciation to you as well. For what takes place within the body of Christ is a result of God's people together being willing to be followers of God's spirit and be responsive. And you are, and we acknowledge that, and we affirm that, and we're grateful for that. So thank you. Thank you. Some of the staff texted me on Friday morning and said, what happened on Thursday night? I said, well, I'll just tell you I'm going to come home from Cuba. So that's the goal right now. But do be in prayer for us as we go. We have a great team. And um, my guess is that we will bring home more blessing than we will have ever given as we go. So your prayers are welcome and desired. This morning, we begin a new series that we've titled Inquiring Minds, and we invited you to submit questions, topics, issues of interest to you. And I will tell you that we received well over 20 responses. Now, given that I have about 20 minutes over the next five weeks, I can't cover them all. We can't cover everything in depth. Some of your questions were of such a nature that they really deserve to be dealt with in a classroom setting where you can unpack them and you can explore them and you can take time with them, the time that they deserve. And so as we discussed how to approach all of the questions and all of the topics and issues with all of their complexity, we acknowledge that you are a thoughtful people 
you know, you are the kind of people whose inquiring minds want to know. And so we, we seek to respond to that. And we, we talked about how can we respond to the richness and the thickness of these questions and topics that were presented to us. And given the difficulty of trying to cover all of that in five weeks, this introductory message comes as a way to try and gather up a number of those questions, which were often framed in, what is a biblical approach to and a subject, an issue, a concern? And how do I think about this? How do I deal with that? And so this message this morning is, is intended and hoped to bring to us uh, some tools and some ways to think about how to develop a biblical approach to and fill in your own blank. And so I hope that we achieve that for you this morning because I think rather than us falling into the trap of simple answers for very complex questions. I think we're wiser to provide opportunities to find ways to think about complex answers in a biblical context. So that is our, our hope and our aim this morning. Thus the choice of the scripture text this morning that Carol read for us. I remember as a child in children's church memorizing this passage. And I memorize it in the King James Version. Part of my challenge at this age is I memorized a lot when I was a child in the King James Version, but now we read the NIV or the New Revised Standard Version or whatever translation you prefer, and it can be somewhat confusing. But the King James Version says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The Common English Bible that Carol read this morning says, who interprets the message correctly. The NIV says, a worker does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. The theme upon, through all three of those versions is that all of us, as followers of Christ, are appointed to learning how to handle the word of God correctly. The inference of that is there are folks who don't handle it correctly. And that was the case when Paul wrote these words to Timothy because these were, words were written in the context of false teaching. There was false teaching taking place about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul took that context of false teaching to give Timothy a global truth. A global truth is in which Paul says to Timothy, not only is there this false teaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but there is this larger matter that we need to get our hands and our arms around, and that is we must teach people how to handle the word of God correctly. 
William Barclay tells us that that, that word rightly dividing comes out of the, the Greek use in which the Greeks used those phrases, those words, dividing in the way that was to set a straight path or to plow a straight furrow. N.T. Wright talks about in this verse and the next verse in this context saying that the responsibility that Paul imparted to Timothy was to clear a straight path and remove the clutter so that there was a clear path forward. And so that becomes the responsibility Paul imparts through Timothy to all of us that we gather up the word of God and seek to not only understand it, but to communicate it correctly and to teach it correctly so that there is not false teaching that occurs and so that the truth is expressed in the way that God wants it to be, and I would say the whole truth. It is just as much false teaching to only teach part of the truth as it is to teach the wrong truth. So false teaching comes to us in different forms. Not just erroneous content, but also not all of the content. And so it is, we wonder, how can we teach the scripture in such a manner that we recognize that there is a straight path forward and that path leads us to being more like Jesus. In 2022, we spent the entire year plus some exploring the story of God. And in that series, a clear picture of God emerged for us. It was a picture of a God who relentlessly and lovingly pursues us. You can trace that story from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. God's persistent, relentless, loving pursuit that seeks relationship with us and seeks to redeem us and to transform us and to shape us in such a way that we become people we never imagined possible because of God's presence in our lives. It is in that loving, relentless pursuit that we experience the full context of understanding God's grace and mercy that loving and relentless pursuit by God reflects the biblical truth that God holds multiple perspectives at the same time. That God holds multiple perspectives of you and I at the same time. That's a really important understanding theologically. Because so much in our context, our society, and not just in this present season, but it is, it is true throughout the history of mankind, that people want to reduce complex issues to binary choices. It's either this or this. 
But there's a danger in that. That's only half the truth. And we'll explore some of that this morning. Now, I recognize that we really would like life to be simple. Anybody want life to be simple? I do. That's why I became a pastor. That's why some of you became teachers. <laughs> Whatever your profession or vocation or avocation, it has complexity to it. And sure, there are some choices in life that are simple. It's either this or this. But life really is more complex, especially when you are the person of God who wants to engage in the lives of other people and participate in God's relentless, loving pursuit of others. It gets complex immediately. And so we come this morning to suggest that we're not diminishing a need for right and wrong at all. For God's guidance is clear on many issues, but there are many issues we encounter in our world in which God's guidance is not direct. And you have to work through the word to develop guidance. And so I would suggest to us this morning that God, in God's loving, relentless pursuit of people, God doesn't always begin with right and wrong in that pursuit. Let's explore a story that many of us know well to illustrate what I mean. John chapter eight, verses one through 11 is the story of the woman caught in adultery. And so let's use a tool that, that I've created to help us sort of explore that. And so here's a, an image, a model of what I've come to call the circumference of truth. Now, those of you who are mathematicians know that circumference is a line that circles around a certain area. It encompasses a certain area. And so the circumference of truth is a way for us to examine an issue. In this case, the transgression of adultery. And so what we first see in the circumference of truth around the issue of adultery in John chapter eight is that there was a woman who was caught, the caught woman. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law come to Jesus and say, this woman was caught. And so these men who I wanna call the technicians of the law. Now that makes sense today. We've changed position titles with lots of euphemisms in our contemporary culture. So let's take that practice. We'll call them technicians of the law. They knew the technicalities of the law. And this woman was caught in adultery. Now, just as an aside, and I'm, I've been scratching my head for a few days, where's the man? Women, what are you, are you not saying amen? Come on. All the women are applauding. 
But the woman, the woman was caught in adultery. And so the technicians of the law brought this woman in an attempt to honor the law. In an attempt to say to Jesus, in front of Jesus, here's this woman, here's what the law says. The law says that she is to be stoned. But the Son of God enters into the conversation and responds. And how does the Son of God respond? You remember it well. The Son of God says, who among you technicians of the law are without sin? That one, that technician of the law should be the first one to cast the first stone. And there is silence. And John goes on to say that those technicians of the law began to move away. The older ones first, the younger ones last. I can almost hear the rocks falling from their hands, thumping on the ground, the dust rising up as it hits the soil. And then, this remarkable things occur. The technicians have been caught in their own technicalities, <laughs> right? What they were using against another person, the Son of God used against them. And so Jesus turns to the woman, to the caught woman and says, where is your accuser? And in the absence of an accuser, Jesus says to the woman, neither do I condemn you. And the woman goes free. But Jesus doesn't stop there, does Jesus? What else does Jesus say? Go and sin no more. What I've recognized as I've, as I've plotted this story around the circumference of truth is that there are multiple positions represented in this account of this woman's situation. Position number one is the right and wrong position. It is, she was caught in adultery and she must be stoned. That's the right and wrong, the black and white position. That's position number one. Position number two was expressed by Jesus, which of you is without sin, which is also a biblical position. Position number three, where is your accuser? 
is a third position. Position number four, neither do I condemn you, which is also a biblical position. Position number five, go and sin no more, which is a biblical position. So in this account, we have five positions, all of them rooted in scripture, and the Son of God holds all five of them at the same time. That the Son of God, thanks be to God, thanks be to the grace and mercy of God, the Son of God didn't begin with this woman at the place of right and wrong. The Son of God began by caring enough to become part of the woman's story. All of the positions identified on the circumference of truth are equally true. And being held by Jesus at the same time, they give us some insight in how we can use a tool like the circumference of truth to sort of plot out what are all of the biblical positions that I might bring into a circumstance when I'm trying to say, what is a biblical approach to, and fill in the blank. Because it's not necessarily one biblical position. And yes, you can start with the biblical position of right and wrong, especially where the scripture is clear. But I would suggest to you that while the multiple positions Jesus expressed are all rooted in scripture and experience, they did not diminish the woman's sin. But Jesus entered into her story and rightly using the word of God, cleared away the clutter and created a path so that after Jesus entered into her story, she could now enter into the story of Jesus. And so part of the the opportunity of using a tool like the circumference of truth is to say, how, do, how does the circumference of truth help me clear away the clutter? And how does the circumference of truth help me develop a clear path toward entering into the story of Jesus? Another example would be to take the story of the woman at the well and diagram it with the same tool and identify the various positions of the various people involved. You remember the story, Jesus is going through Samaria and he's thirsty, so he stops by himself and meets a woman at the well. And so he is with a woman by himself, which is one biblical position. The second is he is talking with a woman who is a Samaritan, which is a second biblical position. And he identifies that she is correct, that she has had five husbands and the man she's living with is not her husband. There's another biblical position. And then the disciples show up and say, what are you doing talking to this woman here at this well by yourself? There's a biblical position the technicians of the law showed up. And as you know, the rest of the story, the story goes on and Jesus ends up spending several days there with them and the scripture says, and many were saved. 
There are quite a number of biblical positions in that story, all held by Jesus at the same time. But Jesus doesn't begin with the right and wrong biblical position, but rather engages at that point, enters into the story of the woman because she goes and says to her village folks, I want you to meet this man for he told me things about myself. Take the story of King David and his encounter with the prophet Nathan over his adultery with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah, her husband. Nathan enters the throne room and tells a little story about a rich man stealing a sheep herder's only lamb. And David gets angry at the story. And Nathan said, you are that person. And if we were to insert that story into this little tool, we could identify the positions being held by God through the voice of Nathan And what we might discover is that in spite of what David did, God was still willing to forgive him. That's a remarkable thing. That actually blesses me. That in spite of all that David did, despite of all that David's sin created multiple layers of tragedy, God was still willing to forgive David. God was relentlessly, lovingly pursuing who? David. What I would say to us, friends, is that that same loving God who pursues you and I relentlessly with love is pursuing other people relentlessly and lovingly. And how is it that we can be part of the story of God in other people's lives? Why does this approach to scripture matter for inquiring minds? If you have an inquiring mind, and many of you do because you wrote us and asked us a whole lot of questions, if you have an inquiring mind, why wouldn't we want to be continually inquiring and say, what are all of the possible biblical positions that are held in scripture? Beyond the right and wrong position. I'm okay, let's start with the right and wrong position, but let's not stop at the right and wrong position. Why does this matter for inquiring minds? First of all, it helps us behave well. Barbara Brown Taylor said, as a general rule, I would say that human beings never behave more badly toward one another than when they believe they are protecting God.
when we inquire about what are all the possible biblical positions, it prevents us from behaving badly. The Church of the Nazarene lost a beloved teacher and theologian just recently when Dr. Roger Hahn passed away. Dr. Hahn made this observation. The shape of holiness seems to vary according to the context. In other words, the way that holiness is expressed varies according to the context. But the substance of holiness is always Christ-likeness. And, and I, I take that statement and I connect it back to the way Jesus engaged with the woman caught in adultery and entered into her story, the way Jesus entered into the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, the way Jesus entered into Peter's story when he denied Jesus three times, and so many other accounts in scripture, and the way God entered into the story of so many people in both the Old and New Testaments. Let me suggest to you, it appears to me, may not appear to you, but it appears to me that to seek out and consider all of the biblical positions and hold more than one position at the same time is Christ-like. Secondly, this idea, this understanding of Scripture, as Paul has encouraged Timothy to rightly divide the word of truth, reflects the idea that everyone else should have the opportunity to be relentlessly and lovingly pursued by God. Let me ask you a question. If you were the only agent God had in the world and God sent you out into the world, where would you begin? Would you begin at the point of right and wrong? Or would you begin by entering into someone's story? Jesus began by entering into his story. We're getting ready to celebrate Advent. Advent celebrates this grand, wonderful idea that Jesus, born in a manger, entered into the story of humanity. Didn't begin with right and wrong. Oh, you can demonstrate your legal prowess and begin there. But let me ask you a question. How long will your influence last in that person's life? How much opportunity will the Holy Spirit have to work through you in that person's life? You see, you, you have an inquiring mind. You want to know. This idea of rightly dividing the word of truth helps us think about the people and the issue. When you enter into someone's story, it's likely that someday you may well get to the point of the issue. You may well have the opportunity to talk about the right and the wrong. 
And sometimes you don't get to the point of that issue as soon as you'd like to get to the point of that issue. But friends, let us remember the Spirit of God is at work beyond your knowledge. I know that drives some of us nuts. Some of us have large facilities in our personalities for control and knowledge. If you're not certain about that, Dr. Strawn is, has appointments available. <laughs> we do, I do. But the Spirit of God is at work entering through you into the story of someone. What am I going to be the agent of? Am I, am I going to be the agent of the technicians of the law or am I going to be the agent of the story of God relentlessly and lovingly pursuing others? Third, this matters because if we agree with the proposition, then the question becomes, will we align with Jesus with the capacity to hold multiple biblical positions at the same time? Or will we be a technician of the law? Fourth, it helps us enter someone's story from a position other than condemnation. When we do that, we enter the story of the Redeemer so that others can enter the story of Jesus. In the list of questions that were submitted were a variety of social issues, all of which have merit. And this week I spent time, I talked to the directors of two faith-based crisis pregnancy centers. And both of them said to me, one of them whom we know well, Lori Berg. The other one is my cousin who is executive director of a life-affirming center in the Boise area, said to me, we must first sit with someone's story. No condemnation. No discussion of right and wrong. Because every person, every person, whatever decision they may have made, whatever decision they have made, whatever decision they're thinking about making, every person has a story. And we must sit with that person and their story. They're not solely about the technician of the law. The question is where on the circumference of truth will you begin? Could I suggest to us in closing 
that Christ's likeness is a much better response than protecting God. And so I would say to us, friends, as we use our inquiring minds and as we wrestle with complex issues in our culture and our society today, and as we encounter people with complex issues in their lives, as we encounter complex issues in our own lives, I would just say to us, let us commit to beginning where Jesus begins.